Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and or as rather I should call it the Chris Cast. I have uh, Chris <laughs> Lydon and Chris Francis here uh, for another awesome uh, Cavs the Podcast. And you know, a little bit of a disappointing game tonight. With uh, you know, it, it promised the Cavs were taking on the best team in the East, the Chicago Bulls, missing a few of their key players and. I don't know about you guys, but it really felt like to me that the schedule and the, you know, six games and nine nights, and I guess this was, you know, seven games and 11 nights, um, just finally kind of caught up with the Cavs. Um, they looked a, a step slow to me. Um, really big run in the second quarter for the Bulls. I think it was like a 13-0 run. Uh, near the end of the second quarter to close the quarter, and the Cavs looked look pretty gassed at times and uh, cut it all the way back to one in the late fourth, and then the Bulls went on another, like, 12-0 run again. And it, it, obviously those things are hard to overcome, but I was pleased with the effort and the execution. just felt like a lot of guys were just out of gas. Uh, you know, thoughts on that, uh, Chris Francis? Yeah. Agree, I mean, disagree? I- no, I think I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think, you know, and it's not just the number of games. It's that uh, they've faced the, you know, they're facing the, the top of the Eastern Conference Bulls. They just faced a big win at home against also tied for the top or close to the top Brooklyn Nets. They faced Utah Jazz. I get they were compromised, but they still, you know, they're still one of the best teams in the you know, in the NBA. So it's, it's not just the quantity of games in such a compressed period of time and being on the road on the West coast for so long. Um, you know, it's, it's the quality of opponents too. It's just a, a murderer's row right now. And, uh, I think it, I think it did definitely catch up. I mean, I think two of the players that stood out, well, what the biggest player that stood out as far as dead legs was concerned was uh, Jared Allen. I yeah. hundred I mean, percent. He, he just looked dead. He did not have the, the typical juice that he normally brings the, to the game with. So, uh, and yeah, I'm he had gonna, a, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No. I'm just going to say he had a lot of plays where he just like watch guys, uh, put layups in and yeah, just um, super or fast. just guys blowing by him. And I was like, that's not the Jared Allen. I know. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent agree. So it, he just kind of seemed like, uh, he was really uh, – it felt like it was one of those games where just Jared Allen hit a damn wall, you know, a brick wall. And uh, just kind of um, – and and I'd say, you know, just judging a, a cursory look from the plus-minus uh, data is that it looked like a Coro maybe still trying to find his legs. 
Um, I think, uh, and, and also that might be a JB thing. I don't know what you guys think, but, uh, you know, Okoro seemed to, seemed to have some struggles on the uh, defensive end there, um, containing guys on the perimeter. So, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, like you said, uh, it, it was a, it was a fun game, you know, actually everybody, in, uh, you know, I was chatting with a, a lot of Bulls fans during the, uh, during the game on Twitter and, you know, it was just a high level game. It was well played. You know, I think the Cavs acquitted themselves pretty well, all things considered. I think there was things they could have done better, um, scheme wise. And, you know, uh, just, uh, from a, from a basketball strategy perspective, but you can't fault the effort. The effort was there. Um, guys played hard. Uh, they hung in there, you know, like you said, down, down to one at the, in crunch time in the fourth. And, you know, uh, Laurie had that three that just rattled out. It was, it was so bad. I mean, like it was halfway down. It was just like, it reminded me of the Kyrie shot from the Brooklyn game where it just, you know, it was all the way down and just popped out and it just kind of deflated the guys, it seems. And, and that's when they made their, you know, you said there was like a 12 0 run to close the game and it was kind of all she wrote from there. But, uh, yeah, super sad. You know, I'm satisfied. You know, it can't get. I'm trying to. I'm trying to not be too greedy. You know, uh, I know Simo out there. Shout out to Simo on the CT CTB commentariat. You know, he, he's pretty greedy out there. But I, I was satisfied <laughs> with the effort. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't so much see uh, a super tired team. Although your point about Allen is is well taken because uh, Vooch was giving him problems. Vooch is a physical Indeed. player. And, and a big guy, right? And, and Alan really had to have exerted a lot of effort and energy to, uh, to bang with that guy down there. And he didn't quite have that tonight, but the rest of the team, I don't think it was so much that they were, uh, too tired out. I, th- I thought that they were playing a, a very good team and they looked like the top team in the, regardless of their lineup. And I want to talk about that a little later, but either way, this looks like a really good team and it looks like a really good team in the Bulls that were, knew they were playing another really good team and a potential competitor in the East, which is my sideways compliment of uh, the Cavs tonight. Uh, Cause they did, they played, they played them really hard. Like it mattered. The crowd felt like they knew that the game mattered um, and they played great. You know, one thing I wanted to look up before watching this game was how the bulls were doing in some of their splits, um, like road splits and uh, team quality splits and stuff. Cause I'd only caught a few games of theirs this season. And uh, because of COVID, they were pretty varied in terms of who they were running out on the floor. And I saw they were three for seven coming into this game uh, against the rest of the top nine at the time. Um, and I think 24 and eight or nine, 24 and nine against the rest of the NBA. So they, they're kind of on the other side of the Cavs in terms of their scheduling, right? Um, and I thought that was interesting, but uh, they they had a squad out there tonight that I thought matched up really well against the Cavs, maybe better than their their sort of fully healthy lineup because they had a ton of young speed on the perimeter tonight um and i thought that y- young speed that plays defense well you know yes you know i thought Desamu, gritty, gritty gritty defense yeah. yeah he played gritty he played some deli style uh, minutes out there tonight for sure oh for sure and then uh, obviously uh you know alex caruso i thought had a fantastic night I couldn't believe he only played 23 minutes because he looked like he was everywhere. And game high plus 18 in 23 minutes was was pretty impressive. And, you know, there's times when, you know, plus minus doesn't tell the story. It tells the story with Alex Caruso. He was 
really flying around the court. I mean, that I chase down many. he had on Chetty was really unbelievable. I don't know. Have they been starting Kobe White for a majority of the season? No. Uh, uh, yeah, from what I understand I so. is, I mean, right now they're going through a lot of um, a lot of permutations of lineups and stuff. It's very shaky right now just because of COVID yeah. and injuries. And then, yeah, I, I wasn't uh, sure if they're playing Kobe with their like, you know, like with Chris Middleton and going small because he's he's such a good defender, or at least he was. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the Zach Levine would have been the normal starter. Yeah. Yeah. So, but obviously um, he's dealing with knee problems. So. No, I think with the thing with Kobe White that's interesting is he was he was a he was a bullseye for Bulls fans to target along with Laurie Marketing over the past two years because of their poor play and because of their poor results. But this year, you know, and 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 my my thing about Kobe White is that the Bulls were misusing him. Um, in the first two years of the league, uh, much in the same way, honestly, it's scary how it parallels the story of Colin Sexton, in my opinion, where it was just a, a, a it was a combo guard guy who came from a highly, you know, highly touted program, um, thrusted into a starting position he was completely unprepared for, and also was forced to be a point guard when he's really more of a shooting guard you know, uh, or an off guard. And so uh, now that they have talent and now that they have Kobe White in a uh, non point guard role, he's obviously he's just flourished this season. And uh, he's one of the uh, one of the he's low key a big story in the Chicago Renaissance this season because they finally put him in a role he can succeed in and they finally have talent around, you know, him. To, to allow him to take on less of a burden. Yeah, and I'm seeing here he's 6'4", and I thought he was for sure like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, the way he was playing tonight. Oh, wow. Maybe it's I'd say 6'4", is a lie. He's a small guy. He, well, he's and he's, small. Wow. he's, yeah, he's definitely put on some muscle in the last couple of years because I remember definitely. when he came out how thin Kobe White was, and he was – you know, as Tom Pestak used to say, ragdoll physics engine Kobe White. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he, he definitely looks stronger, more confident. Um, his drives were really impressive. Um, he, he he just had a really nice game. And I think he was a bit of a tough guard for – I think Garland was on him a lot of the time. The Cavs just – or not the Cavs. The Bulls had a lot of good offensive players on the floor at once and – it was hard for the Cavs to guard everybody, and it, you weren't seeing the, the multiple efforts on defensive possessions that you're used to seeing from the Cavs, at least not from all the Cavs, um, especially from Jared Allen, I thought. Um, but the real story, I mean, there's a couple stories of the game to me that stood out. Um, obviously, one is, you know, it was really ma- it, it really was a make-or-miss game. You know, both teams shot really similar from the field. The Cavs, 52%. The Bulls, 55%. But the Bulls are 10 of 22 from three, where the Cavs were, you know, 9 of 27. And, you know, just weren't getting as many, uh, you know, the rebounding numbers were almost mirrors. The Cavs had 14 turnovers to the Bulls, nine. And really that's, you know, between the threes and the uh, – I'm sorry, the turnovers um, that that's really the story of the game. Um, 
And the, and the Cavs turnovers to me mostly came from really good Bulls defense. And I, I tweeted about it after the game, but a lot of it was the Bulls seemed to have scouted them really well. They knew their pet actions. They knew when, you know, um, Garland turned that corner on the high pick and roll of when he was going to, uh, you know, throw that pass to the strong side corner. Um, yeah. You saw that double team on uh, Kevin Love on the elbow uh, where Dasamu just took it away from him down the stretch. And it was just, you know, they seem really well scouted in the Cavs. When you're a step slow mentally, you can't – it's hard to go to your counters. So, yeah, and well, this, was, this was a coaching game for sure. I mean, this was a chess match. Uh, I wrote down a couple of the lineups that I was looking at, and uh, the middle of the game got weird because I, I was uh, scoring Windler's defense. And so I, I missed sort of the, the forest or for the tree on that one, that so, specific tree being Dylan. Uh, yeah, and I want to know about uh, Dylan Windler's defense and uh, yeah. and kind of how that went, broke down. And we will get back to that uh, right after the break. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. What were you saying about the Windler defense there, Mr. Lydon? Oh, just, just that I missed a lot of uh, – Looking at, uh, oops, sorry, I got a weird pop up there. Uh, looking at uh, the the game at large because I was scoring Windler's defense. Um, oh, I think I disconnected. Did I, did I disconnect? No, you're still there. Okay, as far awesome. as I can tell. Sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a weird internet tonight, but uh, yeah, I was scoring Windler's defense, so I was just staring at him the entire time, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to report that he graded out with a with a positive. So the way that I do those gradings is. Uh, neutral plus or minus and then occasionally plus plus or minus minus uh, for the most egregious or heroic acts and uh, on both team and individual he he uh, just just cleared the positive with one so he was uh, about neutral uh, but he had a couple really splashy defensive plays and uh, I thought his his uh, team defense was pretty solid he was not making bad choices there Um, but I, I was mentioning that just in the the broader context of some of the chess match that was happening between the coaches tonight, we saw some really weird lineups. At one point, we had a uh, Love, Mobley, Chetty, Windler, and Goodwin, uh, which I, I think is a novel lineup as far as I can uh, remember it. But uh, they were really going back and forth, I thought, a ton in this game. Um, I can't tell you who, quote, won the, the coaching battle there, but um, DeRozan is such a such a wild card in, in trying to do the the math of, of these games, but uh, yeah, that's a really yeah. good way to put it because like, do you double DeRozan? Do you, and obviously JB decided not to. So no, but I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. Keep going. Oh no, you're perfect. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, Mark did a really good job. Uh, yeah. For a lot of his time on DeRozan. That's like a tough ask. We don't have a DeRozan type guy and like, luckily m- most of the league doesn't, but even just as a prototype, <laughs> of, of his of his like size or like you know just like take like a basic not amazing version of him like that's our answer to that is what chetty probably like that's the closest thing we have to that kind of a player like right like there isn't a natural fit to put on him uh on this team yeah and and okoro probably the most natural and and, and good at bodying him up and had some nice stops later in the game but i also think he is a little over aggressive at times. And obviously you saw, you saw him early in the game, bait him into some foul calls and, you know, yeah, jumping on the pump stuff. 
No, I'm I'm glad you guys are talking about this because I proffer an answer to DDR question. Um, how about and this is this will go down as my JB gripe of the night. Where was KD stopper Dean James Wade? Jimmy Dean Wade. Jimmy <laughs> Dean Wade. Where was he? I mean, we saw him work pretty. I mean, we saw him make KD work really hard for his shots. And I'm thinking that Wade has the legs, the uh, the intelligence, the you know the dog in him to you know make DDR work for it, and we just saw none of him tonight uh, until yeah. jump time. I think I have an answer to that. Um, I think what's going on with them is that they're they're treating those end of the rotation spots as a competition. Um, I think that's sort of a, a coaching sort of culture thing. Where like Stevens clearly earned some reps when he was forced into starting and he played really well. Um, Wade had been starting before that, right? So they sort of took turns. Um, and then they, they, they ended up getting Windler in. That could be earning it in practice. Like that could be just kind of taking turns and trying those guys out. That kind of seems like the simplest explanation because circumstance led them to start Wade for a while and give him heavy minutes. And then it was Stevens. Uh, Windler is more of a sort of conscious choice with Rondo being out. Um, and he's played pretty well too. We can talk about, uh, the offensive side of Windler and his, his 42% shooting on the season, uh, in a second here. But, uh, they, they didn't really have to, to switch that much. I think that's a purposeful thing. And I, I don't think it has anything to do with them being low on Wade. Like there are circumstances where the end of the rotation guys aren't the best guys for that game. So we can gripe about it watching, but I think that's the coaches doing a, a long view uh, on player development. That's an interesting take. I mean, I, my take on, you know, my counter to that would be, you know, one of my gripes about JB is he tends to, he can tend to run guys into the ground and he also seems to have a very, um, set rotation for how a game is going and, you know, kind of doesn't vary that to me, it felt like that game needed some juice of something different uh, than, you know, what the Cavs were used to because the regular rotation guys were just out of sorts a little bit. And to me, that's one of those where you go, Hey, let, let me try this guy who hasn't played in a while and see if he's got anything. And I think one of the issues is that the last time he tried that with Dean Wade, he was terrible. Um, and I think he doesn't, you know, there's a trust there where, hey, if you're not going to be ready to play when I put you in, even if you haven't yeah, played in yeah. a while, I am not going to trust you as much next time around. And, you know, Dylan Windler, is, his defense has been better. Um, it, you just said he's shooting 42% from three on the year. I checked that mid-game, so it could have changed. But, yeah, and then uh, – yeah. Let's see, I have it written down here, but the, yeah, 10 the, of 14 from three in the last eight games and uh, 21 and 50 in the season. And that was uh, at the end of the first quarter. So Yeah, and the only issue with that is he doesn't shoot as prolifically as I think he should. Um, and the Cavs don't seem to run any plays to get him open. Um, and and yeah. the Cavs are a little bit bad about executing and finding three-point shooters outside of, you know, basic pick-and-roll actions. Um, Mr. They, Francis. Oh, sorry. I was going to say Mr. Francis. No. Look that up, too, because uh, he's got 50 attempts. That might be pretty decent volume for his minutes, but I'd love to check yeah. that out. 
Sorry. Yeah, yeah. but it, it doesn't feel like it, it it that they run stuff specifically around those guys. The only guys that really get specific plays run for them at the three point line feel like uh, you know Kevin Love and and Kevin Love <laughs> to be honest, and maybe Very Chetty. Ch- Chetty, Ch- Chetty. Chetty comes off some pin downs, but uh, yeah, it. it I, and that's one of the other gripe I had about tonight is like not really a gripe, but just it was a little too ball dominant by Garland and it became very easy to guard. And, you know, 40 minutes of Garland feels like, you know, long term unsustainable. And, you know, you're kind of playing with fire a little bit. I think we all shuddered a little bit at the end of at the beginning of the fourth quarter when he got a yeah. stinger. On its wrist, and we're like, "Oh man, that's that's not good." <laughs> we we were all holding yeah. our breath. And I wonder if that, you know, I wonder if that has is another sort of vibes based uh, coaching moment where uh, the momentum was huge in this game. They thought, "Okay, if we can beat the Bulls on the end of this awesome trip, you know, like it's going to be a huge thing for Garland as well. He's you know in the MVP conversation, all this stuff like." I could see JB letting him kind of play this one out and planning on resting him a little bit as the schedule eases. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the other part of tonight that uh, was a little concerning and has to do with the fact that the Cavs don't really have a backup guard right now. I mean, it's ostensibly Brandon Goodwin who had some, you know, nice moments, but uh, clearly there isn't a huge trust level there. They're asking Chetty Osman to do more and you're kind of seeing him revert back into the player that we saw last year. And so maybe, you know, maybe just Chetty doing what he's been doing all year and not trying to be that extra playmaker is, is what they need because he was pretty bad tonight. Uh, over four right. from deep. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you there. Like Chetty, like that, those are minutes that should be soaked up by what would that be? The ninth or 10th player, depending on the night. Yeah. Like, with with some weight minutes, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, the problem is the the Cavs don't have a guy other than Brandon Goodwin that can play point guard. You know, they're literally when yeah. you know Mobley's playing two guard for them right now in terms of a secondary ball handler. Well, it, it's funny you say that because that's actually where I wanted to go with this. Uh, to your point that I totally agree with Nate is I you know just box score you know viewing. Uh, Evan Mobley, 8 of 12, Laurie Markinen, 9 of 14 on the night. I feel like there was something left on the table in terms of uh, touches more distributed towards Mobley and Markinen or some type of maybe point center, you know, or point power forward Mobley, you know, maybe, you know, try marketing uh in in some uh secondary playmaking action you know i think uh i think there was something left on the table with those two and it kind of goes to your point about garland you know garland was a usage monster tonight 18 shots 12 assists so you know maybe there was a i think there is some you know merit to the point you know uh, you know, maybe maybe getting Mobley more involved or marketing you know who were both hot you know Hottish fish grease tonight. So uh, I think there's a point there possibly, you know, of, of yeah, and work yeah, with something else. Yeah. I'll 100% agree with you because, you know, Laurie Markin, and it was obvious from the start, he had the most juice of any cab. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I felt like he could have scored, you know, another 10 points easy the way that he was mm-hmm. shooting. And, 
really when you got a guy that's shooting and scoring like that, he should be getting more than 14 shots. Like you should be running plays for him. I think that's one place where not having multiple guards and clearly not having a Ricky Rubio um, really hurts the Cavs in that it's harder to ride that hot hand because when you've got one kind of primary ball handler, you know, the defense can a little bit dictate where you're going to run your plays. Where are they overloading their defense? Where are, you know, and Markkanen is for the most part a weak side scorer. You know, he's getting the ball in catch and shoot situations. Um, they do a nice job in s- scramble action, and but he doesn't post up very much. He doesn't cut a ton. Um, you know, he, he's getting stuff from the elbow, but it's really most of his baskets are assisted. And the, the Cavs are, you know, they need to get some actions to get guys like that going. Um, and I, that's where I really feel like Markinen, you know, just needs to watch tape of Kevin Love and how he does it and emulate exactly what Kevin Love does. Because I thought I thought Markinen was great tonight. I thought he had some great offensive moments and clearly during the road trip had some fantastic plays in multiple games uh, to offense and defense. So it I, it's been really fun to see the growth and, you know, the slump he was in seems firmly behind him. Yeah, that's a season high points for him, 28. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, and he's had clutch plays in like each of the last few games, too. You know. Yeah, so. I think he's uh I think the uh the demise of William Markinen has been uh I forget the I forget the reason. Greatly that. exaggerated. Yeah, greatly exaggerated. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Uh yeah, I mean his he's he's in a shooting slump. He doesn't have the yips, which I'm happy about. I was worried he had the yips. Um but he watching some interviews of him where he's like comically talking about his like favorite pizza and stuff like he seems like the kind of guy that's pretty yip proof he's not like in his own head very much he seems like a really balanced dude uh but his shooting's bad <laughs> like his shooting's bad well but uh, it's been better the last several games and yeah you know simo talked about it on the live thread tonight um the head jerk he is not jerking his head back when he shoots as much yes. and it's definitely stabilized his shot as soon um, as and, you pointed and, it out, I, yeah, you I can't unsee it. For it and yeah. I didn't see it. But no, I never saw it. Like after you oh, okay. pointed it out, I think he stopped like right when you <laughs> tweeted about that because yeah. I was like, okay, I'll watch that next game. Didn't didn't see it. it. I feel like it happens when he's a little bit out of his range. Uh, you know, I saw it tonight when he took that one on the right wing that was one of his kind of bad misses because he was about five feet behind the the line and I was like, oh, when when he's really trying to push that shot up there and it's a little bit out of his range and it yeah. doesn't get as much arc, that's kind of when that he's happens. Got, he's got to shoot over guys because what's happening is people are playing him pretty close in the perimeter. And I, I've I've seen this. He'll he takes a couple steps back and then even when he's doing actions, he's like inflating them towards center court a little bit. Like he's shooting a few feet off the line pretty habitually. I think it's to give himself more space. He doesn't need it. He's very seldomly guarded by a guy, like especially if there's an action where someone is closing out on him. He doesn't need that extra space. So you think it's like a mental thing? Yeah, I think it's a confidence thing, and 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 it'll come back if he starts hitting him. And he's been hitting really clutch shots. I think he's 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 had high leverage shots on this on this trip that will really help him in his confidence. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I'd actually think I'd propose that he's turned a corner. To be honest, like I, I think he's finally. You know, it's been now, I think, maybe a month 
or so since COVID, uh, since he, since COVID took him out. And, you know, I feel like he's now just finally settled in, you know, now he's, now he's starting to see where his shots are coming from. You know, he's starting to see like, like Nate, Nate and you guys were talking about the, he's attacking the weak side, you know, he's able to attack weak side closeouts, able to do, uh, you know, some simple cut actions or whatever to get looks at the basket. Um, the thing I'd like to see more personally is to, and to Nate's point uh, earlier was I'd like him to see him post up more. Um, it's a, it's a thing that he's been successful at, um, in limited amounts. You know, I know that it's not, it's not, you can't do a diet of Laurie post-ups, but I think there are times when, I mean, tonight, well, what's funny is, uh, they, they actually, uh, they actually, uh, tried to hide DDR on Mobley tonight. So they were excellent at mining, you know, spamming that Mobley post up, you know, against DDR. Uh, and, uh, so there was just, you know, usually one of those guys, you know, to start off the game, you know, it's either Mobley or Laurie or Allen. One of those guys has a mismatch almost every night. So, um, just more recognition and more mining of the of, of the bigs, you know, seems to be a thing that can be improved upon as the season wears along. And, and have we seen a high level rookie that likes to post up as much as Mobley does? Like, <laughs> I, I haven't seen question. one. In, That's a great like, question. I, I mean, I'm watching the guy right now that might be the one guy that might answer that question. And I didn't watch him much as a rookie. And I don't think anybody did. And that's uh, Jokic because he was like a, a super late draft pick. But, um, you know, Jokic is probably the one guy I can remember that kind of came in with that refined of a post-up game. Um, I, I'm just amazed how much he loves going into the post and what great footwork he has, ability to turn over either shoulder. You know, he's got that push shot. He's got the full hook. He's got the uh, turnaround fadeaway from the baselines. Um, you know, and then he's got counters up and unders and really just great footwork. It's so fun to watch. Um, and when his shot gets consistent and when he has that kind of everyday functional NBA strength and doesn't get stripped on triple teams and that kind of stuff, he's going to be just an impossible guard. Yeah. And they, they treat, they, they treat him like a big with help defense too. I mean, he's getting doubled really fast in the post, which makes sense, but when you're playing yep. a, when you're playing a guy like that at the 3 that opens up interesting things happening around them um that I don't think he has the passing skills to quite capitalize on but there's there's something there for sure uh, oh, I, great, I, I was just going to say that's a great point Chris cuz what I was going to say is tonight was probably the best I've ever seen Mobley recognize the kick out to 3 pass uh you know possibly this season you know I know he's seen it in spurts or whatever but I felt like there was, uh, I felt like he made a correction because I think he does, uh, he's prone to turnovers, you know, with the, with the collapsing paint, you know, and I think he had a really nice kick out to the side. I forget whether it was to Lori or Chetty. Um, but I, you know, I think that's, uh, I think that's coming. I, I, that's a great point there, uh, Mr. Lyden. I, I think, I think he's, that's going to be the next step is seeing that kick out pass. For sure. And um, with that, we will be right back. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk more about uh, Evan Mobley. Welcome back to Casa Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Team Chris, Chris Squared, Chris Lydon, Chris Francis. Um, really, you know, that Bulls game, 
a little bit disappointing, but the last week, Cavs five-game win streak. Am I correct when I say that? Was it five or yes. six? Oh. Yeah. 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 Six games. I mean, six-game win streak. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what six, I thought. Because yeah. nice. the, the road trip was five games, and then um, the last game yep. before this one was the New Jersey game? Yep. Yes. At home. New Jersey. Oh, I like that. Sneak this there, Nate. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. No, I still... You want to know why I call New Jersey? Because when they had, uh, you know, Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson and... Oh, yeah. Um, Kerry Kittles. Kerry Kittles and Vince Carter. I played them a lot in NBA Live. And uh, so they'll... they'll Kerry uh, Kittles and Keith Van Horn. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And Kendall Gill. Yep. I, I played that team a lot in NBA Live, and so they always... It I'm always is in my how head. Many names you remember? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry, that came out wrong. That, that came out totally wrong. But I'm just impressed. You know, you're not the names guy. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Well, it, you know, a, a feature of senility is you remember things when you're a kid, but you don't think, remember things that happened last week. So <laughs> that, that's probably a good uh, a good comparison. So yeah, just a super fun. MLK Day game. I thought it was just played at a super high level. Um, you know, Kyrie back in Cleveland played played great. Um, and then, of course, you know, the key play in the game is Kyrie rims out that three, much like uh, you talked about earlier, Markinen did. But it was the three from the same spot he hit to mm-hmm. uh, to go up on the on the uh, Warriors in 2016. So it was a super fun game. Like, just, I know you wanted to talk about it before we got started, Chris Lydon. What, what are your some of your highlights of that game for you? Oh, man, that was a big-time game. And I guess it's tempered now that we've we've seen the, the Bulls matchup. But uh, overall, like, that was big-time. Like, the ending was big-time. A few things broke their way, but generally that was like, I mean, that was like, uh, not to compare to the Lakers team of this name, but that was Showtime Cavaliers action uh, with with the way the ending of that game went down. Um, it was fantastic. It was a balanced offensive game. It was a balanced defensive game. Um, and obviously they didn't have their full squad. That's a theme of, of a lot of these games. Uh, neither do we. Uh, but I thought we we didn't necessarily win that game because... We played harder or wanted it more or any of that. It was a home game, which gave us a bit of an edge, and uh, the Cavs capitalized on it. I, th- I thought it was fantastic. Well, and the other reason they won was Darius Garland was the best player in the game. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was phenomenal. I, I, he, was, he, he did things none of us have seen before. You know, just didn't he have – couple enormous plays down the stretch of uh yeah yeah well, no, one I, of the best ones yeah one of the best ones was just uh he stole two points from them uh coming down the stretch just with a look ahead pass to Mobley you yeah know, and he did it actually t- he actually did it tonight with Laurie Marketing against the Bulls right off of a right off of a free throw miss um DDR I think missed a free throw the night but uh that was I, that I remember that play just because um, it showed a fearlessness under pressure. You know what I mean? That that's what that was the amazing thing about uh, Garland's performance against Brooklyn is that there was just 
there was, you know, in playoff basketball, you have to ignore your bad plays. You have to be next play, next play, next play, you know, compete the next play, complete, you know, compete the next play. You have to have no memory of the bad plays you're, you know, you're making in the game. And that's what I saw from Garland that improved in that Brooklyn game was just he was focused on competing and focused on the next play. And he wasn't worried about the mistakes that were made. He was just staying in the moment. And I think that's that's the hardest thing for a young team to do, you know, is that, you know, and we kind of saw it tonight is that, you know, as soon as they saw the Laurie market in this, it felt like the team deflated, you know, it, it just like the team let go of the rope there, you know, and just, just kind of, they, they thought that was it, you know, instead of just ignoring it and keep, you know, keep on letting it play out. And, uh, you know, and I get it. A young team—that's a very hard thing to learn. Um, and mostly, young teams never learn that. It's always the veteran teams that that figure out and how know how to win. But uh, that was just the most impressive thing about the Brooklyn thing was that the, you know Darius Garland going toe to toe in his matchup with Kyrie, and he was focused and making plays under pressure and ultimately prevailing over. I mean, Kyrie had an MVP performance. Uh, Golden turd, screw you. You suck. You're washed. I saw it. Everybody <laughs> knows it now. This is game two in a row, at, by the way, yeah. that he sucked. Oh he sucked tonight, too. So, <laughs> Well, and, and Garland on defense was huge that game as well because they, they, they approached yeah. it really, really interestingly. Like They had him on Kyrie a lot of times. Uh, they they would put uh, Okoro, I think, was on Patty Mills. Um, and then they had uh, uh, Markinen guarding James Harden for large stretches of that game, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, and got the stop. That was, oh, uh, yeah. it was marketed oh, yeah. on Harden that got the stop to close the game out. Yeah. And you could tell that that frustrated the Nets for sure. Uh, those 100%. were not the matchups they were expecting. I don't think, I think that was a, a again, I guess there's a theme of coaching. Uh, you can tell I'm preparing to coach uh, tiny children to play basketball and therefore <laughs> reaching my hubristic heights of basketball knowledge. <laughs> But no, like, you know, like that, that's a, that's a bold choice. And, uh, and it paid off really well. I thought, I thought Garland did a great job. Again, so many of these Cavs guys play such good fundamental defense. Like there, there's so much basic stuff. Again, like talking about coaching kids, this is the same thing. Like just stay in front of someone, stay between their dominant hand and the, and the hoop. Like keep your hands up or out all the time. Like, that's how everybody on this Cavs team plays one through nine, generally. And they'll get burned because they're, you know, if you play DeMar DeRozan, they're just going to run all over you. Or, like, Kyrie Irving's going to get his, like, no matter how fundamentally sound your defense is. Um, but it gives them such a high defensive floor. Um, and that really paid off in the Nets game. Yeah, and, you know, Ben Worth talks about this a lot and why he can't stand watching uh, Colin Sexton play defense is that he's so jumpy and, you know, isn't calm with his feet. And that's one thing I really like about Laurie Markinen is that he has good feet, but he's calm with them. Like he doesn't take missteps. He takes the right steps. He moves his feet well, but he also rarely bites on pump fakes. Like he's not going for, you know, these throw it out of the building blocks. And, you know, Evan Mobley so amazing at that, too, of, you know, his blocks are all, I'm going to tip it to myself. Um, 
And like you said, they just play really awesome fundamental defense. And, you know, as I'm going back through the play-by-play, I'm remembering all the amazing plays that Garland made. And, of course, you know, he had he assists on three of the last four field goals, you know, hits Allen for a, a hook shot. And then uh, the next one, he kicked it out to Markinen, who just derainoed that, uh, that three, which was so enormous. And then, you know, uh, sent it to him again and, and marking and miss, but then, uh, found, uh, when, when, uh, Brooklyn was kind of trying to get the steal, found Mobley behind the defense and just got him an easy dunk for, for an extra couple, you know, points. And then of course, Okoro closes it out when, you know, Markinen's on, uh, Harden on the left wing, and then, you know, Harden throws it away, and Okoro grabs it and, you know, throws it down. It, it's, it was a super fun game, for sure. And I really played at a high level by both teams, and was I, I just really enjoyed the feel of the game. Like, I just felt it was like a great MLK Day game of yeah. just so much excellence on the court and in the booth and the coaching staffs. I was, it was really cool. I, as, I, as Chris Francis so appropriately uh, uh, said in the in the title of his recap, it was JB's signature win. Yeah, and I love that people are making fun of that, and it's like, who cares? I mean, this is about us. It's not about you. Yeah, it's about uh, the people that love this team enjoying it. <laughs> I want to know who's making fun of it. I want names. <laughs> oh, I've, I saw there was a lot of uh, Brooklyn fans up in their fields about that game. Oh yeah. yeah! Oh, they're yeah. coping hard. They are yeah. coping yeah. hard. You know, and and of course, Chris Francis and Eli and I were you know texting back and forth today of uh, you know Harden and Kyrie can both uh, be free agents this summer, which yes. is which is pretty crazy. So the, you may see them get moved at the trade deadline. That which. Mm-hmm. Is insane, but yeah, it's well. It's just if you look at the wider view about the Brooklyn Nets, here's a team that's been prohibitive favorites for the title for the past two seasons, and they've ended up with nothing. You know, I mean, mean? at least at least prohibitive favorites out of the East for sure. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, you probably said it better than I did. But you know, they they have jack shit to show for it, and. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, what's going to happen this year? Like the constant theme is, you know, as, as, as Mr. Leiden uh, alluded to, you know, they've always got a guy missing. Now it's KD's turn. And, uh, you know, the rumor was supposedly that, uh, the rumor is, is that Kyrie and, uh, Harden, uh, are, are, uh, a bit of it, a bit on the outs as far as his participate, his part-time participation in the season. So oh, for sure. And I can see them as yeah. dudes not getting along particularly well. I mean, like one's like a celebrity <laughs> club dude and the other guy is like deep, deep, deep into his own idea. Of being mm, smart very play. interesting. I mean, that, very that's not a great combo. Yeah. And you know, we all, it's not like no one saw this coming. Like, for different reasons, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden have been at times three of the most insufferable dudes in the NBA. <laughs> and I'm sure they're just not fun in the locker room either. And then, of course, you know, their whole 
you know, KD being a GM of, oh, let's go get LaMarcus washed Aldridge and make him our starting center. And that lasted for a year. And, you know, there's just they had the outside of that is he's probably one of their better players. It's uh, Blake Griffin. How bad did he or not LaMarcus Aldridge? Yeah. I'm sorry. I meant uh, DeAndre Jordan. Sorry, oh, I meant right. DeAndre. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, Lamar- yeah. LaMarcus Aldridge has been fine for them this year. I was yeah, thinking DeAndre. Yeah. No, you're I right. said LaMarcus. Defi- yeah. yeah. You're definitely and, right about uh, DeAndre for sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, uh, wash DeAndre Jordan. And of course, you know, the, the senility comes back. Um, <laughs> I, I am a sundowner. So. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, so the idea of trading Kyrie specifically. Uh, his deal's expiring. Is that what you're saying? And then. He has. So. Um, his contract as well as Harden's contract are both player options for next year. Okay, so he and could... then KD in the summer signed an extension. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so Kyrie could leverage the fact that he can play all of the games in several states mm-hmm. as being a pretty big, you know, uh, value boost to him. Right? Mm-hmm. I think I, I because, guess. Because <laughs> so I mean, like the well, no, I mean, like the Nets could, could could theoretically get a lot for him, like if if he would actually play for you, which is a whole other thing. But if just you as an asset, if you're trading him to a state where he can actually play all the time, I, I could see that being a thing. I mean, it seems it seems absurd that they would do that, but either way, uh, that's interesting. Well, the the rumor, uh, the the full conspiracy tarred rumor. Uh, about either Harden or Kyrie is that that's Maury's ultimate target. So that's that's what I've gathered from conversations that I've had with other fans of the team or whatever, especially uh, uh, Philly fans, of course. Uh, but that, uh, but that you know, they're they're pretty smart guys. Uh, that um, Maury has it are they? Pocket. Yeah, I mean. I, well, yeah, your I'll friends. Give credit. Yeah, <laughs> your well, friends. I'll give him credit. Let's, well, hear, it. Let's well, hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah, the, I'll give him credit. No, I, I'd have to give him out of all the fans in the NBA. I'll give Philly fans credit. I, I actually respect them. I, I, I give them respect. But uh, uh, yeah, so like the because they're uh, they're furious about Maury right now. Sorry if I'm jumping the gun, but like they're furious about no, Maury yeah. right now and no, wasting a prime MVP level season from Joel Embiid, who, by the way, had 50 points tonight, I think, uh, in 30 minutes. No, no, so, no, it was less. It was like 20-something 20, wow. I think it was like yeah. the most efficient scoring since the uh, since the shot clock era, like 1954. Are you serious? Like yeah, yeah. That is insane. That is insane. So they're wasting prime Embiid, and supposedly that's the golden ticket, is they think that they have a legitimate shot at James Harden or Kyrie Irving in the offseason. Oh, I, okay. Well, that's yeah. not our problem anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and with that, uh, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. And I, I'm sorry I keep interrupting you guys. It's just such an exciting NBA season, so we'll be right back. Interesting. Well, it's a time <laughs> that we've all been waiting for. You know, it's it's time for Cavs of Blog Trading Talk. And, of course, woo-woo. <laughs> it's, it's the Ben Simmons trade is train trade 
uh, train, train, train <laughs> is pulling into the station. <laughs> and uh, list, apparently, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't know who's driving. We don't even know if Eli's on the train. I think he's he, he may be hiding in a boxcar. We don't know. Um, go away. <laughs> but uh, I think wh- who did we say is driving it? It's uh, Maury. You, you, yeah, Daryl Maury. Like, good. Yeah, Daryl oh, Maury. Is it? It's like Snowpiercer. We have to fight our <laughs> exactly. way to oh, there we understand. Go. Now we're talking. Who possibly Chris. could be driving this? Yeah, thing. and and of course, you know, sw- replacing the parts in the engine is some unknown Curry kid. Um, <laughs> If you've never uh, seen that's a Snowpiercer joke. If you've never seen that movie, yeah, which is a great spoiler flick. alert. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've never seen the show. Have you guys seen the show? No, no, not because no. I mean, you know, it's the, the movies goaded. Yeah, so. yeah, and and also those TNT dramas. It's like I like my dramas to be sixty minutes, not forty two. Thank you. So. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I agree, hundred <laughs> percent. Talk to him, Nate. Talk to him. <laughs> Nah, there's nothing wrong with with that. And of course, I also feel like every time we get to the playoffs, you've seen so many TNT drama commercials that you like feel like you've watched a whole season of the show by the time the playoffs are over. It's on a hundred percent. Or and like I feel like the only time I watch those is when you know you've sat through the playoff game, you've watched inside the NBA, and it's like you're on your phone or you're doing something else, and all of a sudden Animal Kingdom comes on in the background. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yes. That, you're speaking you're spitting the truth right now, brother. <laughs> anyway, the the Ben Simmons uh trade train. So you're thinking that they got a shot to move Simmons for Hardening or Kyrie? Yeah, I mean, so the news that broke today, I think, was I forget who broke it. Um, so uh, forgive me for not having the attribution. Um, but the the news that broke today was that uh, apparently Maury rejected a trade of of Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Matisse Tybel for Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, and Tyrese Halliburton, and I believe two first-round picks. Wow. If that's really true, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, I cannot believe that. And and so the so supposedly – oh, actually, I believe it was the, the Sixers beat writer, who's pretty reliable, or at least sourced up, uh, broke that story. I think his name's Keith Pompey or Keith Pompey or something like that. Um, so I think that was just that wasn't uh, just a, a run of the mill rumor. Um, it, the theories are wild, as far as I can gather. I'm not an expert at you know um, how how PR works or anything, but supposedly that was a signal to the league about where the floor is for Ben Simmons. And so um, that's the thinking from people who are vested interest in this story is that that's the floor that Maury's establishing and that more could be had or more could be gained. I think it's outrageous that he turned it down. I think I think you got to take that deal. I don't know what you guys think, but I, was I it think it's reported that he like very much turned it down or is it reported that like that wasn't enough to do it for him? You know what I mean? Like it, the, supposedly the, the story is made? supposedly the story is that the inclusion of Matisse Tybel is what what tank this would tank the deal. Oh, 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you, Nate. Thank you. That's the appropriate reaction. I'm I, like, <laughs> I really, I really like Matisse Tybel, the player. Like, I think he is a really useful player. You know, much like, you know, we talked about having a guy you can throw it in an opponent's best player, but he mm. is not a guy you hold up a blockbuster deal that is hamstringing your entire team all mm. season for. Um, mm. You know, and then of course the other theory is that. The Atlanta deal to get Cam Reddish was, um, you know, one of those deals that they wanted to move Cam Reddish or, you know, get that uh, draft pick. And now they have another draft pick and, you know, maybe John Collins can come in that deal. I I don't even understand why people want Ben Simmons as badly. Um but well, that's that's, no, that's a great point because the joke that was made today was that Maury is actually doing has been doing the right thing, or or that Maury's calculation paid off because because people have forgotten how bad Ben Simmons is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of this stuff feels like the source is is Maury, and that like I, I feel like I just like open up a you know a, a new. A brand new web page, a brand new tab on my browser, mm-hmm. and I look at the news of what's going on with that team, and there's a headline that says, "Oh, they turned down, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, an offer that that broke the rules. <laughs> like someone offered them five years of firsts for Ben Simmons, and had to be reminded that that was impossible." <laughs> Daryl Morey was out. <laughs> And Daryl Morey broke it while vacationing with his wife, Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> you ever yeah, remember like the, a- the old John Lovett sketch from Saturday Night Live? <laughs> nice, nice. What is that? Is that, is that was that uh, was it Wayne Embry? Who who was it that that established that rule? You couldn't you couldn't mortgage the entire. Oh, the Ted Stepien rule. Yeah, Stepien. Yeah, it's a Stepien rule. Stepien rule. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't don't. You put some respect on Wayne Embry's name. Thank I know, you. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking about like like mid 2000s internet nostalgia of like Wayne yeah. Embry's kids versus the Stepien. Oh yeah, rule. no. Yeah, oh, no. Uh, oh yeah, no. Wayne Embry's kids, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, so, to both of your points. Uh, to Nate's point first, uh, I heard the exact same thing about the Reddish deal. Supposedly, that was orchestrated by Maury. Like, basically, the, the supposedly the conversation was Maury was like, Cam Reddish, uh, no thank you. Give me a pick. And so that's why that move was made is so that yeah. um, Atlanta could increase the war chest um, to send to Maury. <laughs> the, secondarily, like- uh, to Chris's point, um that's that's the uh, that's the devil's advocate or the counterpoint is that this must be just an all time you know masterclass from Maury trying to go, you know just trying to propagandize the whole NBA you know and, yeah and just, it sounds like it sounds more likely that Maury is QAnon than than he is some sort of a, <laughs> a genius level manipulator I just think a lot of that is bullshit like I think a lot of that reporting is is it's well sourced but it's sourced to somebody who's bullshitting. Because well, and especially like when you're the beat writer, you know, he's probably that team's uh, Chris Fedor, which, right. you know, if mm-hmm. the team wants to leak something, they call Chris Access Fedor and tell him, maybe. yeah, that's that's what they tell him. So it's it's definitely, yeah, a pre- highly dubious as uh, as an employment lawyer I worked with once told me. So <laughs> he enjoyed that. He enjoyed that phrase. 
So, I, yeah, it's weird. So, I, and I don't want to get hung up on Ben Simmons, but, uh, you know, you and I and Eli were throwing around some names today. Um, I feel yeah. like kind of the best way to do it um, is just let's throw out some names and you guys say yay or nay and what would be the most that you would give up for that player? How, how, how does that sound to you guys? Uh, it sounds like a great game. Let's play. <laughs> Do you want to play a game? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so the guy I was thinking about today, um, you know, old Cav, uh, Alec Burks. Um, I feel like he could end up being the odd man out in New York. And if he's available, would you want Alec Burks? And what would you give up for him, Chris Francis? You know, obviously – that's the first guy or the only guy the Cavs get. Yeah. No, I, uh, you know, I like the idea when you proposed it earlier today well, during uh, just uh, just shooting the breeze or whatever. Um, I think that I'd be willing to part with spare parts, you know, uh, up to, you know, Chetty and a pick, you know, I think would be something I'd be willing to listen to or willing to do. Um, Chetty and one of the second rounders. Uh, I think that would be maybe even a couple of the second rounders, to be honest. He's under contract for nine or 10 million next year. I think that that provides some insurance and a hedge against rushing back, uh, Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio. Should they be a part of the team next year? I believe, I believe Sexton's under team control, not, not Rubio, but you know, should they want to bring back Rubio as well? Um, I think that allows them to kind of, uh, you know, it's a low cost move that I think fits. So I, in, so those, in those, in those two senses, it really ticks the boxes for me. And it's, and he, and he's a, his game, Burks's game is exactly what we need right now is a backup, uh, on ball, ball creating guard. So, uh, with that can shoot. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, it was a name that didn't think about, but when you mentioned it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a good name. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Sorry, I was on mute there for a minute. I'm with you on that because, you know, what I love in bench players and backup players is, you know, taller guys that can play multiple positions. You know, and Alec Burks, 6'6", six, six, can literally play the one, two, or three. You know, I that's so invaluable when you get to the playoffs and your rotation shorten up. Uh, you need vets. Um you know, that that to me is a nice move. I, I think Chetty in a, a second rounder makes sense. The problem is I'm not sure the Knicks would want Chetty, but maybe they would in a pure shooter standpoint. Like when Chetty is a pure shooter, he's shooting great, but he's also one for the last 11 from three. So, right. you know, <laughs> what, you know, he's very, very streaky. So what about you, Chris Lydon? Alec Burks, yay or nay? Nay. I'm not sure where his minutes come from. I, I, I don't know. No, I'm saying backup point guard. Yeah, nay. I think nay. I, I, we haven't seen a lot of what Rondo can do, and that makes this very complicated, right? Because we already made a move like to shore up that spot, right? And because of this, what is it? Like a, a soft tissue, you know? Uh, I, I'm not familiar with the injury. Is it something that's going to keep him out for a while? Age. It's called it's called geriatric decline. Yeah, it's, yes. it's yeah, it's not like a, a real deal injury, but like here we are and he's missed what like four games. Like, uh, it, it's called the the hamstring connect for 
uh, ligament. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we haven't seen it yet. Like that, I think that they've already because they've already made a move midseason to try to shore up that position. I don't see them doubling down for a person of of that quality of like a Burks quality. I I, I don't see it. I don't know. I, I I'm I tend to disagree, and mainly just from the chatter I've heard is that the Cavs are absolutely scouring the league for other guards, and I don't think they'd have any problem getting off of Rondo if it doesn't look like they're gonna go, yeah. it's gonna go anywhere. But but I don't think he's the I don't think he's the you don't think Alec Burks is the guy. Okay, so the next one I'll give you um, a guy I really like. Uh, think younger version of Alec Burks. Um, if if and part of the problem is even the worst teams in the West are just a few games out of the play in, um, so it really makes it hard to say what teams in the West are going to do and when they're going to give up on the season. But Josh Hart is a guy that I think makes a ton of sense for the Cavs. Uh, another guy who can play three positions. Um, and the other thing I love about him is he grabs almost seven rebounds a game. And the Cavs have some defensive rebounding issues and a better rebounding guard would be a big plus for them. So yay or nay, Josh Hart, and what would you give up for him, Chris Lydon? Oh, man, this is another one I have not thought a lot about. Um, I, 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 I'll put it back on you. Like, again, like, tell me about some, some minutes and where you think this trade could, could benefit them positively. Okay, so Josh Hart is scoring 13 points, seven and a half rebounds, four assists, um, shooting uh, 33% from three, a career 35% shooter, and uh, 52% from the field, which are, which are really good numbers. Um, he's got pretty, you know, slightly positive on-off metrics uh, through most advanced analytics. Um, I think he can play, he's actually played some at the four. I, I think he can play, you know, again, two or three positions in the, in this team. He's 26. Um, you know, he's not going to decline over the course of the next three years in his contract. I really think he's the kind of, you know, multifaceted player the Cavs could use. The problem is, do you sit Okoro to start, start Josh Hart? Um, or does he not make sense there? Um, to me, uh, what I would give up for him, I actually think he's a really good Sexton swap out, um, and, or the Rubio contract, you know, one of the two kind of makes some sense. Although the Rubio contract is a little bit more than his. And so maybe you go grab a Thomas Sadaransky who's in the last year of his deal along with that. And then you've got, you know, multiple guard options but that that's an idea i have i think i don't want to see one of these guys that comes in and doesn't have any defensive ability um because then i think you're you're kind of messing with the identity of the team i don't know um we, we can come back to you what about you chris francis yeah i think for me it's a no um, and it's not a no because he's not a good player. He's a fine player, uh, especially for the role that he plays. I think it's the fit in what the Cavs are looking for that doesn't fit. Uh, I think the Cavs, I mean, if we look at what are, what are the Cavs missing, they're really missing Rubio and Sexton. And the main thing that they provided for the Cavs is they were able to create their own shot. 
And looking over Josh Hart's stats, um, the majority of his uh, field goals are assisted. Um, he's dependent upon other guys creating for him uh, to find his offense. So in light of that, I think that it's a fit issue more than anything, is that he's a fine player. He'd probably be an upgrade over Okoro, uh, I'd imagine. Um, but I don't think he's bringing what the Cavs are looking for. And for that reason, I think that would be a no. Also, I would say the cost would be an issue there because I think New Orleans, uh, David Griffin, I think they're in a position where they're probably a little bit panicky, you know, and, and feeling the pressure. And I don't, I think that's going to make them, uh, kind of conservative in their moves, uh, so to speak. Um, and not very aggressive. I think they're going to be looking to hang on to whatever talent they possibly can uh, because they've already been leeching it out with Lonzo Ball's departure um, and others, uh, Stephen Adams. Uh, so um, it, I I think that the cost would be prohibitive. He's, he could be had for – if it was spare parts in a second rounder, you know, that maybe you know, then I'm thinking hard about it. But um, outside of that. Yeah, that's I'm, not going to be the deal, though. And exactly. Exactly. The other yeah, problem is New Orleans, they don't really need any more late round draft picks. They need because right. they got a ton from the Lakers and all the other trades they've made. Yeah. And then my vibe, my vibes based opinion on this as well is like, I'm not sure you can walk into this locker room and say like, Isaac Accordo, sit down. You're no longer a starter. We're starting Josh Hart. Yeah, well, that, that's a fair point. So uh, we'll, we'll get back into some other ones, and maybe uh, you guys can throw me some of your ideas uh, when we come back. Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast, second hour of Cavs of Podcast. Uh, Chris Francis, what were you saying about, uh, you know, the Josh Hart rumor? Yeah, well, I was just, uh, you know, uh, Chris had uh, had a little quip there. Uh <laughs> about Josh Hart. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about him in a couple of years. It's been a long time since I've uh, yeah, I haven't yeah. thought about lost my lips. <laughs> I haven't thought a lot about a lot of guys on the Pelicans in a couple of years. So. Yeah, ooh, ooh, yep. zing. Got him. And well, I was just I was I was uh telling Chris that uh well we were off uh, off air is that um uh Chris Fedor had actually reported that uh, the Cavs were really interested in Josh Hart last offseason, you know, and it was basically from what I can gather from Fedor's uh, ramblings was that it was really a, a toss up between Josh Hart acquiring Josh Hart or Laurie Marketing for that uh, Nance trade chip. And so um, and, and so. It was uh, he was in real consideration, from what I know, uh, for the Cavs uh, in the off season, and so that, that's, that's kind of what led Chris, yeah, to, yeah, because that speaks to what are we talking about when we talk about the intentionality of the Cavs front office slash coaching staff, which I think are very enmeshed in these decisions um, of, of whether they were going to go with this like '90s style three bigs. Um, idea because like Josh Hart, I mean Josh Hart's a, a big dude, but you know he's a he's more of a wing uh, archetype. Whereas like the the Markinen signing, especially with a Markinen signing plus like an instant contract, um, speaks to what they were trying to intentionally build. I think that's very interesting that they that they were involved in that. They thought about that and they decided maybe to go with. Uh, what has become the the what last time I checked fourth best uh, defense in the East? 
Yeah, yeah. And interesting. And, you know, consistently near the top. Um, did you have some names you guys wanted to throw out of, you know, trade ideas for the Cavs that, you know, yay or nay that you want to ask us or me, you know, me or, and yet, yeah, however three people talking <laughs> works. <laughs> I'll go. I heard on, on, on uh, uh, Nate Duncan's podcast, uh, a little bit of chatter. Uh, the birds were chirping about Gary Harris. Um, I think that that was an interesting, like, that has emerged as the consensus sort of uh, a centrist uh, trade where it's something that, that, you know, it, it's a low value, low cap hit number that you can maybe work around the margins of our seconds or guys that are not a part of the top nine rotation and immediately make the team better for an imminent uh, playoff run. And that, that's sort of the, what I gathered from the zeitgeist in general is that sort of a, a very, a very moderate, uh, you know, small trade. I'd love to hear what you guys think about that. Cause I, I, I honestly, I like, I looked up his, I looked up a couple of highlight videos and I watched like, half of one of Gary's games and uh, didn't learn a lot. So I'd like to hear from you guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and first. Pl- uh, please do. Yeah, I'd say that the Gary Harris trade is probably a slightly, I would I would go so far as to say a slightly worse version of the Josh Hart trade, um, where it's a guy who uh, you probably can plug in and he's going to fit in a way, but he, but he's not again. He's not what uh, the Cavs are probably looking for in terms of a on-ball offensive engine. Um, Gary Harris, as far as I've known, he's kind of been a catch-and-shoot three and D type of player um, who actually lost his three-ball, uh, unfortunately, in Dallas uh, um, right when uh, as they were making their playoff runs over the you past mean, you couple mean, of years. You mean Denver? Denver, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, no problem. Um, yeah, but it's the same issue. Uh, he's not a guy who can create his own shot. He, uh, he relies over 60% of his two-point makes are assisted. Over 90% of his three-point makes are, assist, uh, are assisted. So he's relying upon guys to create for him on offense. And also, I think his contract is pretty substantial, although I'm guessing the Rubio contract is probably what everybody's thinking that could yeah he makes he makes almost the root 18 million that rubio does i mean you know to me it's it's a it's a hard pass at this point because i'm not sure what gary harris gives you other than if you just don't trust chetty osman at all and you kind of want somebody else to plug in there and dylan windler or you know, Dean Wade, if you got, if you don't trust any of those guys in a playoff series, maybe you go get a Gary Harris for cheap. Um, but you still don't have a backup guard yet. And he doesn't solve that problem at all. He's, you know, strictly a three and D player, like you said. Um, yeah. so that, that's a pass for me. And, you know, if they were to do it and there's like, I think you and I, and you and I talked about it last time, there's absolutely no other option, you know, maybe, the Rubio contract and a second rounder, but they ain't getting more than that for him, but he's not going to on all likelihood, even if he doesn't get traded, he's probably going to be a buyout guy. Ooh, that's interesting. Take. Mm. And, and maybe that is the way that it might make more sense, but I, I'd see him more likely going to a team like the Lakers 
Because, I mean... <laughs> right, right. Orlando just doesn't make any sense long-term for him, and they're going to look to get what they can and move on. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. The, the name I got for you guys um, is... Well, in, uh, Chris, Chris Lydon, did you want to yeah. talk about Harris at all? No, I actually agree with you guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just we heard a lot about consensus. it. And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you get for listening to the Dunktown podcast. So oh. I'll just leave it at that. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying hey. to stay. I'm trying to stay abreast of the moment. Well, you know what? I should not bag on my fellow I, Nates. Yeah, we got our <laughs> investigative journalist right here with yeah. us, don't we? <laughs> yeah, Nates. Nates should stick together. So I should uh, shut my mouth. So. Yeah, where's Nate Solidarity? Come on, Nate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, that would be a great pod. Two two Nates and two Chris's. <laughs> there we go. Hey, Nate Dake, Nate Duncan, if you're listening, come on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the the name I got is uh, I'm totally ripping off. Thank you, Jason CBT Commentariat. Uh, the name I have for the floor is Corey Joseph. Um, is, what's uh, yay or nay, and what would you be willing to give up? You want you want me to go, Chris, or uh, you? Yeah, go? yeah. Go ahead, Nate. Take it. Go yeah, ahead. Go. Okay. Um, so the problem with um, Corey Joseph is he should really be named Contract Year Corey Joseph because it's the only <laughs> time he ever plays well is in a contract year. I mean, he had a really good season last year when he was in a contract year, signed a two year deal, and now he stinks again. Um, you know, he's not shooting very well. He's, you know, not really defending very well. He's just kind of a guy, you know, he's Jag, just a guy. Um, yeah, he just only ever seems to do well when he's in a contract year. And, you know, I just don't, I mean, he wouldn't be bad. The problem is, I mean, he's, what is he shooting? His three, I mean, his three-point percentage has ticked up to 43%. He's scoring eight points and, you know, four assists, um, 45% from the field. But, you know, last year he was at a huge usage with Detroit, scoring 12 points, six, six uh, assists, and, you know, 37% from three. And, you know, was a much better a more dynamic player in the 2019 games that he played with Detroit. And this year, you know, it, it's backed off a ton. I, he might make sense. Um, it, the problem is, what do you give up for him? Like, I got to go look at what his contract number is. But, I, I mean, I think it's it's similar to Schroeder in that it's probably it's like, like six or seven million. million. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yep. But yep. unlike Schroeder, he's under contract for next year. Oh, is he? I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, whereas Schroeder is a free agent at the end of this. Gotcha. Or, or is it, isn't it Schroeder because of the Umlaut? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, Joseph, to me, he's not – he's got an EPM of negative one. Um, of course, he's on Detroit, so that's hard to quantify anything with that. He might make some sense, but I, I just – he only seems to ever play hard in contract years. So, I don't know. What about you, Chris Lydon? I'm a big no on Corey Joseph. And uh, Ooh. it's related to why I'm a big no on a lot of these things. I think the contention window, if you want to talk about that, and the, uh, the, the way these businesses run, and if you think about the Cavs and what they're thinking about with their a balance of their team building and, and running a business, is that they're looking at 
Mobley's rookie contract as a contention window. And I think any trade that's going to help the team in the short term has to be balanced with what happens in the long term there. So I do think Rubio, like I, I love the idea of bringing Rubio back. Like I want the Rubio that is frozen in time right before he got hurt. I want that guy next year. I don't know if that guy is going to be available, right? Like that's a huge issue on the Cavs right now. That's a second injury to that knee. I believe I could be wrong. Please uh, correct. That's me correct. It is. You are correct. And so like, and with his age, like I'm not sure he can do what he did this year. I mean, this was a career season that he had on his hands before he got hurt. And maybe those, maybe those things are related. Like maybe like having a huge half a year of his career performance was a part of his ceiling and that led to him getting hurt. But well, and uh, maybe a minutes count that, you know, multiple people <coughs> me warned that yes, <laughs> was yes. not sustainable, you know, for Fair. a player his age and workload. The other That's side true. of that, the other side of that being ACL injuries, you know, it was 11 years ago, completely different. If he made a full recovery, then, you know, Theoretically, there's no reason he can't make a full recovery now if there is another awesome. significant cartilage damage. So, and and of course, I hadn't realized that it had been that long because time is moving in a very strange way in my life and the lives of I'm sure many of our listeners tonight. Uh, but you know, like either way, yeah. So, like, I want that. I want that Rubio back. I think they again. They they, I think tried to fill that void with bringing up Goodwin and then. Uh, signing Rondo, and that's how they're approaching the the secondary, you know, bench playmaker. Um, but at this point, like, I I just don't see us doing a Corey Joseph because it does it doesn't seem likely that they're interested in improving in that way. Like this season, like you know, like it, 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 I think if you're bringing someone in with a cost that's higher than a Rubio contract plus a maybe second rounder plus a guy that's not in the rotation. Like if you set that as a ceiling of what they're interested in in exchanging in assets, I don't I don't see Corey Joseph being the 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 outcome of of that sort of uh, a thought process. No, that's totally fair. Uh, the, Mic drop. Yeah, the, what it makes me think, and or the question I feel like that should be asked, and I'd love to get you guys' take on it is. So, it, it seems like there's really three avenues that the Cavs have um, uh, as far as uh, the immediate future and the, in the, in the intermediate future is kind of, do they get a spare parts guy to get through the year, you know, at that backup point guard position? Do they get uh, some, something slightly more than that? Like in the, uh, in the ilk of like, uh, Eric Gordon, Karis Levert, the names that have been kind of tossed about by Fedor and others, or do they make a huge game changer splash? It feels like, I don't know if this is, I don't know if that's your take, Chris, but is your take kind of, are you, are you holding now for like a game changer? Is that what you think that the Cavs front office is thinking about is, is oh, I even trying think, to, I even think, yeah, I even think drafting guys in the late, in the late first fit their uh, championship contention, you know, in intentions uh, with this window. Like, yeah, like I don't, I don't think they're, I don't think they're, they're short term here at all. I think they're viewing like, look, I haven't done the forecasting with what these contracts look like. 
But if, if you're going to keep like the Okoro, like love, love kind of fades the fastest in the, any of these timelines because he's, you know, more advanced in age. But well, and he's also this contract is only one more year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah but his value, but his value is, con- yeah, his value is considered relatively low, even though he's been amazing this year. Like, you know, like you, you can potentially keep him here beyond that contract. But either way, if he's not contributing, if you're just looking at Garland, Allen, uh, Mobley, and maybe Okoro as a four person, uh, core of this team, which I think Okoro, by the way, has, has, has played himself into. Then you're looking at the contract lengths and values of those four players as your future core, right? And then you have these guys tied up long term, like Markinen, Stevens, Wade, who are sort of filling out the the bench or potentially as a starter with Markinen. And and I think that's your timeline. And so you're looking to improve that timeline underneath the threshold of what you're willing to spend in terms of your assets, which is like an automatic first rounder every year. You're going to get through the regular draft. You have these two very high, potentially second round picks this year. You have a potentially low first round pick this year. You have your expiring contracts, which basically mounts to to Rubio, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't see it. I think that what they're trying to do. What, what don't you see? I, I don't see them doing something short term to improve oh, their chances gotcha. in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I, uh, I just don't. See no, not without long term benefits. I, I think the kinds of short-term moves are these very low-impact moves you would see, like the Rondo deal. And and I'm with I don't think Corey Joseph makes sense because he's under contract next year. If they could, you know, get a um, Dennis Schroeder this year um, for not yeah. a lot of money, that might make sense because he's only under contract for this year. Um, but yeah, beyond the, that, I'm with you. But doesn't it seem like the Rondo trade was the Schroeder trade, right? Like uh, that, that's if you assume. I I am kind of under the impression that Rondo is not going to give him much. I feel like if they got two games out of him, that might be all they get. Like he could be the point guard version of. Um, oh, who did they get? Who was the uh, Australian center that played for 15 <laughs> seconds? <laughs> oh my god Thon Maker? No, no uh, oh, In the LeBron uh, area uh, Oh, oh, Mozgov No, Wait, no, 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 no Andrew Bogut Andrew oh, Bogut Yeah, the, the Bogut two minutes of gold Yeah It was 45 seconds <laughs> Of game time And then his knee cracked oh, You could hear it Or the, his oh. shin cracked You could hear it on the broadcast And that was it And it was like Well, that was exciting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I kind of feel like that might be what we're seeing with Rondo right now is, you know, this might be the last day of Ray John Rondo. I'm I'm not counting on him for anything, to be honest. I just wonder. Yeah, but I just wonder if they considered Schroeder at the same time that they considered Rondo. Right. And they chose Rondo. because No, because were... Schroeder, you'd actually have to give a, a real asset for like they just absorbed the contract, basically, and just gave him Denzel Valentine, whose contract at that point was waivable. Um, OK, yeah. So it was an asset trade. It was just yeah. All it was was a pure cap move for L.A. Um, but what yeah, uh, opening up a roster spot. Yeah. But Schroeder's actually playing and actually contributing for Boston. So you'd right. actually I. You'd actually need to give them something for him. 
I, and I don't think that he makes sense in that standpoint. So that makes sense. That's fair. Thank you. <laughs> you know, well, and I was just going to mention as a, to, to kind of tie a bow tie on it was that I think that the, okay. So Chris Fedor's tweet that you had alluded to Chris, um, Leiden, it, uh, it dropped on January 11th. So I think, and that's when Schroeder's name was brought up. I believe that tweet came out after they had acquired Rajon Rondo. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're still looking for other guards. And I think, you know, ultimately Rondo is going to be break glass in case of emergency. Well, yeah. yeah, And it's interesting you say that, uh, Nate, because I heard the same thing. In fact, I heard what what was kind of surprising about the story that I had heard. I'm not sure if it was a rumor based or it was based on solid reporting or not, but, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and drop it anyway and see what you guys think. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon. And what were you going to – what was the big rumor on yeah, the, that tweet? It was, yeah, it was kind of – well, it wasn't in relation to the Fedor tweet. It was more uh, in relation to what you had brought up earlier, which is the idea that um, that Kobe Altman is actually looking like, I guess that there was a rumor or there was a report that came out, um, reliably sourced, I believe, but, uh, I'm having trouble finding it right now that the Cavs were very active, um, in the trade discussions that, that apparently they've got their nose in a lot of fires or irons in a lot of fires and they're trying to they, it seems like they're trying to make some moves. And so I thought that was kind of interesting and kind of reinforces your point, Nate, about, you know, I, you know, yes, I think that they have an eye towards the future, but it was just interesting that as far as we know, as far as the reporting is concerned, they're definitely active uh, in talking to teams. So I, I, I just thought that was interesting in, in terms of what do you, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, like, give me, I guess what I, I think is, what do you, what would surprise you? What what would be a thing that would surprise you? What would be a move that you have thought about that would surprise you that's possible? What what would, what would kind of catch your attention as far as a move is concerned? Uh, do you want me to go? Uh, either one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So I, to me, a move that would surprise me, I mean, obviously, you know, I a hundred percent love the point you made Chris Lydon about how the Cavs really view a not a Coro, a Mobley's uh, rookie contract as their window because right now is the time to make moves because you literally have three of your core guys in a Coro Mobley and uh, Garland, Garland are all on rookie contracts. And so you can, pad out the rest of your roster and then totally um, then you go up against the cap when those guys all get extensions or, uh, and then you're a big taxpayer when those guys all get extensions, it's impossible to do it the other way around. Um, And it's worth paying the tax when you're deep in the playoffs. Right. I mean, it's the uh, it's golden state warriors model. That's how they were able to do it. And combined with, a ridiculously low contract when Curry's ankle kept going out every year. So, uh, because, you know, when that was happening with Curry, we didn't know that the Steph Curry we saw then was going to be the Steph Curry we know now. Um, so, you know, very similarly, the time for the Cavs to add, 
and pad out this roster is now or in the coming off season. Uh, and, and then after that, you know, Darius Garland is probably going to sign a big extension this off season, I would assume, um, because he's looking like a max player at this point. Um, and then you've got, you know, after that, a Coro extensions. And then after that, you've got a Mobley extension. So, you know, these are going to come, keep coming up. And so I got to stop caveating and actually say something. Um, <laughs> a move that would surprise me is them moving off of Markinen and or Okoro. And I think it would take an all-star level player. I think what they're very going to very much going to try to do is use that uh, Rubio contract and possibly Colin Sexton. Although I think you're more likely to see a move this summer than uh, than right now. And they're going to try and get a very high-level player back, a guy that can either start or come off the bench um, and and really help you know build their window in the now. I don't think you're going to see one of their main guys get moved, um, although that player could end up being uh, Kevin Love uh, because that is a big contract. And if it's a guy with a big contract becomes available um, – you know, he matches a lot of those bigger contracts. So I just talked a lot without saying anything. So go ahead, Chris. No, no, I was just going to, uh, I just wanted to clarify, I guess the Rubio plus Sexton type of deal would have to be executed before the off season because then Rubio is not under contract anymore. So then well, I, I would say yeah. they would be separate deals. If oh, they move okay. Sexton in the off season, it would probably be a sign and trade. Ah, okay. gotcha. Very okay. similar to, you know, marketing. Gotcha. And they can use marketing or loves contract. Uh, yeah. In tandem with Sexton. Gotcha. Gotcha. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. No, I, I'm just thinking about like, okay, so we have the, you know, a natural pick, the two seconds, you have Rubio's expiring contract, we have Sexton, which we're not sure whether he will improve or not improve the current lineup, right? Like thinking about those as our as our largest trade assets, I'm not sure that they're not interested in drafting this, this like, mm. like having the first, again, if you... It, you know, extending this thought of Mobley's rookie contract, like there's certainly enough time to address some of the issues we've seen with the team this season. And again, I think next season I see uh, improval from almost every one of these starters. Like there, there are very few starters on this team that are, have already reached their ceilings. So I think you're going to have a lot of, natural improvement from these guys playing together. Like I, I really do consider that a lot when I think about these trade scenarios. And I, I think that's uh, a really good point. Yeah. And so like our team next year is going to be way better. Like even though Okoro has been around for a minute, like he can certainly figure some of these things out with the same chemistry he has with the team. Like he can be your starting too. Like he's already demonstrated that his defensive capabilities are, are, are a net gain for your team to have him at the two spot, like Markinen's wrapped up long term. You've got Allen, you've got Mobley on a rookie contract. You've got Garland, who's going to be extended probably close to the max, or if not the max. And then, and then you're you're rolling from there. So, like, if you're looking at improving, uh, we have some obvious bench spots that we've talked about ad nauseum already about additional 
playmakers, but like I think your 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 secondary playmaker next season is going to be Evan Mobley. He's, he's the yeah, but third best passer on the team. The problem is, is you need a secondary ball handler, and that is a lot to ask for a seven foot dude in his but second year. Can, yeah, but I think you can trade in the off season with that sign and trade with Sexton, because I, I again, I, it, Sexton so, would have to be. So let me give you a counterpoint. Like, does a rookie uh, first round draft pick? even play for them many minutes next year because so much of how these guys have developed and why they developed is because they had the ability to play these guys and let them grow into the role. That's not going to be as possible next year. The minutes are going to be harder to come by if the only role that is available is backup point guard. I mean, it's really hard with a late first round draft pick. Um, You've got to get a little bit lucky to have to draft a guy that you can bring in to be your backup point guard and be any good. Um, to me, that that is a stretch at the you know bottom half of the draft. And obviously, yeah. obviously, you see these teams like Memphis that have just had tremendous success with that. Um, but that's not a guarantee. You know, you're you're not going to get a Desmond Bain. Um, no, no, but but you you draft for the wing. I think I think you have to go through free agency to solve the secondary playmaker quandary. And earlier in the season, like you didn't have to have both of them on the court all the time. Like you still had, you know, Rubio being basically your backup point guard. And I, I'm not sure we've replaced those yet. I think most people would think that we have not. That's something I could. I think you can do in the off season and then and then what you're looking at drafting is somebody from the wing that can supplement the the starters that you already have in your young core and come out and and try to work on that on that player for maybe even 2 years of development because your window is so much longer than just this year or even next year interesting what what about you Chris Francis um what what's your take on that do you think they do you know yeah. are still coveting draft picks and that kind of thing? Well, to me, kind of in kind of to segue into our next segment is I feel the here's the question in my mind, and I'll pitch it to you guys: Is that like we know how good the team is this year? Do you think that they're trying to make a real substantial run in the playoffs? Do they see the window right now open? Do, do they think that the window is, does Kobe and JB say, you know what, you never count on next year. You never say just next year, you know, we'll be better. We'll develop, blah, blah, blah. Right now we're good. And right now we got a chance. Do you think that those two are saying that? And I feel like that's, you know, if I'd say, you know, the answer to that question in tandem with the news or the reports about, you know, Cleveland being active. I feel like they feel like that their window is now or they feel like they have a chance to strike while the iron's hot now and maybe a big move is coming. I don't know. So I, that's what I wonder about you guys th- thinking about the playoffs. Yeah. So to me, I'm looking at Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert wants to make a move now. Um, Cleveland is hosting the All-Star game this year. It's a big deal for the city. It's a big deal for him. I think the Cavs really do 
feel like they can compete in a playoff series now. And I think the other part of it is optionality. If there is a player that they really feel that puts them over the top, now is the time to go get them because now is when the assets are, you know, they have assets that are movable. I I think that's really what the the story is, is it, they're keeping their options open. You know, and I also think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dan Gilbert's mortality has to be weighing heavily for him. You know, um, I I certainly, <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that flippantly because right, right. That, that's not well, a flippant thing to say. Of Dan, uh, yeah, I was just thinking of Dan Gilbert watch or whatever. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. no, I, I'm not bad. saying that. No, you can, I mean, I'm not saying it flippantly because, you know, I don't want to make fun of the guy, uh, the guy's health. But he's had a lot of health issue, and you don't know how many, how long you have once you start, you know, kind of down that road. And I think he definitely wants to make a push uh, and, you know, be successful without LeBron. I think that means a lot to him. So, you know, that's just my take. Successful. Yeah, I think they will be successful this year without LeBron because I think they're going to see their first playoff series without LeBron since, what, 95 or. Uh, no, I'm with you. Yeah, they're going to get there. Like, they're not going to necessarily be favored in most of those first round matchups, but they're going to, they're going to, they're going to be a playoff team. I, I sincerely believe this is a playoff team. But if you're, if you're going to look at, like, you know, uh, some of the best players that have been drafted and, and or, you know, signed in the last few years, like, you're looking at Jokic or Doncic or, if you want to even look further back in time to some Mobley comparisons and talk about Chris Bosch, talk about KD, talk about Kevin Grant, like or Kevin Durant. Giannis. Uh, well, Giannis is a yeah. Giannis is he's isn't he's in his own tier for me. But even Ooh. Garnett, like think about rookies. Like I'm really viewing this as Evan Mobley is a rookie, and he's very good, and I think he's going to be a superstar. I think he's going to be a top five player in the NBA. I don't think it's going to be this year or next year. I think it's going to be the year after that or the year after that. And and that's the the sort of peak that I'm considering when I'm building this team. I don't know if the team is doing that. I have no I have no idea about what's going on with ownership. I sort of sense that that ownership right now is like the kids of Dan Gilbert giving a lot of raises and more power to to Kobe and JB, which we've seen with the extensions, we've seen with the um, promotion for Kobe. Like it seems like you're putting, uh, you know, basketball people in charge of the franchise. Um, but yeah, I just I have a hard time seeing them making those short term moves. I think they they think, and and I think as well that Mobley is going to be a huge deal in a couple of years. That's a fair point. Uh, so I, I I do feel like, as a friend of mine used to say, uh, we beat this dead horse into the ground. Um, <laughs> uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk, Cavs? Anything that you're looking forward to in the next, uh, you know, uh, couple weeks? I know the Cavs schedule is going to get a lot easier. I think they have the easiest remaining schedule, at least in terms of winning percentage in the league, which is super fun given how good they've been so far um who do they have coming up next yeah and this is the part where we just look stuff up on the internet it's yeah. everyone's favorite part of the podcast i believe is it milwaukee no it's the thunder thunder on national tv the thunder rematch nba tv 
Yes, that's right. Saturday yeah. Night Live. Saturday Night Live. And you saw they got optioned uh, into they got flexed uh, for the Toronto game is going to be an yes, ESPN game. Yeah, it's finally, finally, the, yeah. tonight's game should have been flexed. To be honest, yeah, I mean, and that's a fun game because that's really the rookie of the year battle. Um, right, it's the the Evan Mobley versus um, Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes. I keep wanting to say Harrison Barnes, and <laughs> yeah, this rookie class is so dang good. I, I think this rookie class is going to go down with, like, 2003 as just one of the better rookie classes of all time. Um, I yeah. think I agree with that hot take. So you they know. play they play the Bucks on Wednesday, and then they have a run of the Pistons, Pelicans, Rockets, Hornets, Pacers, Spurs again, Pacers again, 76ers, Hawks, and so on and so forth, like. Schedule wow. opens up so much very soon. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And when is the NBA trade deadline? Oh, I got to look and see. It's February 10th. So we are about. Coming upon it. Yeah. T- three weeks away. We're literally three weeks away because it's always on a Thursday. So, and it's, yeah, it'll be between the Spurs game and the second Pacers game. Well, there uh, we go. It would have been the second, I get. I think, time we face the Spurs. But yeah. We, we play the, the Pacers like twice in in that week. Um, yeah, that's that's about where the trade line lands. So they have a, they're probably going to be at thirty thirty one around that trade line. It'll uh, in terms of wins, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, and with that, we'll be right back to wrap this bad boy up. Welcome back to Cavs the podcast. Um, so you guys got anything to pitch? I got, I got a couple things. Don't everybody yes. speak up at once. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. I've got, yeah. <laughs> I've got one. I'm going to go. Uh, I do a lot of cooking. I'm, uh, uh, cooking all the time. I've got a big old family and many meals to prepare. And, uh, I love cooking. I've cooked, uh, in restaurants before and stuff. And, uh, a recent oh, very cool. Dis- yeah, a recent discovery that I've had is a uh, a good YouTube channel, which is always a very tough thing to find, right? Like, if you Google or YouTube search whatever you're interested in, you're very likely to be served up uh, the the most garbage output of a gar- garbage al- algorithm that has ever been developed uh, by humanity. And uh, I've lucked out and found a good cooking channel that has to do with uh, with Chinese cooking specifically. Oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, it's it's called Chinese Cooking Demystified, and they do not pay myself or Cavs the Blog for this endorsement. <laughs> nobody <laughs> nobody nice. pays Cavs the Blog. Well, that's not <laughs> nice. We we it's do very, make a small sum. <laughs> it's very well done, and it's a uh, it's a woman who is Chinese. Uh, I forget what city they're in, Guangzhou uh, uh, or something like that. Uh, Shunde, which I don't even know how to say. I'm sure there's millions of people that live there. And uh, her husband, who's uh, English or American, I forget which, and they produce these videos together. And it's uh, they are they are the the holy grail of like good, quick, informative videos, um, talking about like how to cook very popular and specific uh, uh, items and recipes uh, in Chinese cooking. It's been awesome. I am I am one hundred percent on board with uh, this (laughs) this pitch because. So I got to tell you, like, one – so first of all, the Smith household, there are two things that are on multiple times a week, and that is 
Cavs games and reruns of Top Chef or Chopped um, or or guys grocery games. So we are really big <laughs> on on the cooking, and I I cook quite a bit. My wife cooks quite a bit. I love cooking, but one of the biggest regrets of my life is we had in uh, Canton, well North Canton. There was an amazing Chinese restaurant that was called Chiang's, and they were there for years. And um, the the couple retired to Columbus, and uh, when they retired, they put all their recipes online uh, for anybody to download. And I was so dumb, and I kept being like, oh, I'm going to go grab those. I'm going to go grab those, and I never <laughs> did. And that is one of – like that's a top five regret in my life, like – you know, one of the beauties of having kids or the Cavs winning a championship in 2016 is that you don't regret anything that happened before that because your kids wouldn't be your kids and the Cavs wouldn't be 2016 champions. But, you know, I, I do wish I'd wrote I'd uh, printed out those recipes. So I'm very excited yeah. to check out this That's awesome. recommendation. Yeah, my my wife uh, taught English in China for uh, a couple of years back in the early 2000s. Oh, that's she awesome. Taught me, she taught me the basics, and uh, I've been cooking you know, this style of food for uh, decades since, and uh, yeah. this channel was actually straight up informative to me, so everybody should check it out. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah, my, uh, my cousin cooks a lot of Thai food, and uh, you know, where I go in Michigan, there's a very large Southeast Asian community, um, and you know, I would put his uh, pad thai against most uh most other people so i'm 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 really ready to uh to come back at him with some uh, authentic <laughs> chinese cooking on our on our next chopped battle so <laughs> well uh, what about you chris francis anything to pitch okay in honor of i do uh in honor of martin luther dr martin luther king jr day um i will pitch a book that i own and have read um, it is entitled A Testament of Hope, The Essential Writings and Speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a great book. Um, and all it is is really just a, a, a compilation of his speeches and writings that he, that he did over the course of his life. And it was highly influential in my life, um, as a person who went to school for uh, ministry and studied religion and philosophy, um, it was through his through this book and through reading about his life and biography that I was influenced in that way to get into uh, to get into studying religion and be, uh, being involved in, um, in 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 a way in uh, church ministry. So. Um, just in honor of Dr. King Day, you know, I think, um, I think people will be surprised about, uh, the themes that he consistently hits on, you know, and, and his politics and, you know, just his worldview in general and just, yes. you know, kind of, um, really, uh, I think that's the, that's the sad thing is that, you know, uh, he was assassinated and now only lives on as a, as a holiday, you know, and really his, his life and his work is what truly impacted us in that we're feeling those impacts. And so I feel like, and, and it really was in part in due to the way he was able to communicate to people. And I think that's, what's really been lost about, you know, his legacy is, 
what did he actually say? Why was he controversial? Why did people want to, why was there people who wanted to kill him? You know, and so I think, I think what's lost about him and, you know, everybody knows the I have a dream speech and everything, but he was a far deeper complex man than that. And, you know, I just wanted to give it some justice, you know, and thank you for CTB to offering a platform that I could talk about this. So, you know, well, that is, that is absolutely fantastic. And one of, you know, I, a confession time here, I actually feel more patriotic on MLK Day than I do on 4th of July because I really feel like he represents the best of America, the best of, you know, what we could be as a nation and what we can be, you know, what we can strive to and strive for in terms of our ideals and justice and equality. Um, And so I, you know, MLK Day is actually the holiday that I feel the most patriotic about, which is super weird because clearly, um, you know, African-American people have not always been treated fairly within the United States. So it, it's kind of ironic there that that I feel that way. But I, I, I really do. So I'm, I'm super glad that you brought that up. It, it, it spoke to me. So thank you. I thought that no, was really I appreciate really it. Touching. Yeah, and absolutely. Your words preach. Preach on, brother. <laughs> um, and I don't know what I'm going to pitch. I I was trying to think of some, you know, TV shows or other stuff I'm watching, and now I'm kind of like, um, I, I don't want to go down that road. So I'm actually going to pitch um, my uh, – one of my favorite Twitter follows is a man named Matt Stoller, S-T-O-L-L-E-R. Um, not for everybody, very much a – uh, a bit of a policy nerd uh, in terms of U.S. Uh, foreign policy. and uh, But one of the things he's really big on is uh, monopolies and about how monopolies are very much at the heart and, you know, income inequality at the heart of what is wrong with American politics, American political discourse. He talks about a lot of the supply chain issues and uh, inflation are very much to do with market concentration and, you know, the inability to that we become a, a society of affluence um, rather than a society of wealth where wealth is the ability to produce things and move goods and services around and do things that benefit people. We've really kind of abstracted that into, you know, the financialization of those things and, produced an affluent society rather than a wealthy society that is is running the country and so he's just a really interesting follow he's got a book called goliath that came out last year he's got a Substack. um very interesting reads about antitrust and concentrations of capital and vertical and horizontal monopolies and you know the damage that they're doing to the country and you know i don't get into politics too much but one of the things that you know he's very pro, you know, he gives uh, conservatives uh, their credit for, you know, things like taking on big tech monopolies and stuff like that. Um, So, you know, definitely atypical in terms of your whole left-right paradigm and how you might approach politics. So I definitely would say give that a listen and check it out. So, and uh, yeah, I don't really have anything else (laughs) beyond that. A little more a little more nerdy than we might normally go, but but I'm loving it. So uh, 
As always, go Cavs. Go Cavs, go baby. Cavs. <laughs> that was awesome, guys. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite bloggers.